The Guardian. Hello, this is Politics Weekly. I'm Tom Clark. Coming up this week, who's left? As Labour rules out restoring coalition cuts, trade unions come out fighting. In the black corner, what union leader Len McCluskey calls discredited Blairism. And in the red corner, what Alan Johnson calls the delusional left. How can Labour protect its values and rebuild shattered trust over the economy? And can the coalition simply afford to sit back and enjoy the fight? Joining me this week in the studio, we have a rainbow that spans the Labour spectrum. Guardian columnist Seamus Milne, who's a reliable stalwart of the left. Labour councillor and author of Tangled Up in Blue, an early attempt to define so-called blue Labour, we have Rowena Davis. And left-leaning blogger and co-author of a pamphlet called In the Black Labour, which argues that social justice can, in the old new Labour phrase, go hand-in-hand with fiscal conservatism, Hopi Sen. A warm welcome to you all. All of this week, Labour's High Command has been taking to the airwaves, penning newspaper columns, tweeting and popping up on the radio. Their message, Labour accepts the need to tackle the deficit. As Ed Miliband told the BBC's Andrew Marr, if and when he becomes Prime Minister, he won't guarantee to restore any of those spending cuts made by the Coalition. There's a big difference. If Labour was in power now, we wouldn't be making those changes. Uh, We wouldn't be cutting as far and as fast as the government. We would be making cuts. So, for example, in the police, we said that you could cut by a billion pounds. We think that you could protect frontline services. The government chose to go further and faster. But then when it comes to the next Labour government, if I was saying to you, I can absolutely promise to restore this cut or that cut, you'd say, well... Where's the money going to come from for that? How do you know? What mm. circumstances will you going to inherit? This is responsible. This is absolutely responsible opposition. So it's a nuanced position, it's fair to say. It hasn't won everyone over, least of all the trade unions affiliated to the Labour Party, some of whom have suddenly been muttering about possibly withdrawing some or all of their finance. But Seamus, like Ed said there, you don't know how much money there's going to be in 2015. You can be fairly sure there won't be quite enough. So what's wrong with this new position? Well, no, I think that's totally right. And um, in fact, I don't think there was much objection to that point, because in fact, Ed Miliband made that point before Ed Balls' interview with The Guardian, and no one really picked him up on it. I think the, you know, the confrontation with the trade unions happened because the symbolic cut Ed Balls chose to sign up to was the real terms cut in public sector pay. And he's and saying that, he'll do that, that now, not yeah, just... Well, he's like supporting that. it now, yeah. and that's a direct attack on trade unions' core business, which is uh, defending their members' pay and conditions. It's the issue which the trade unions were and are most likely to fight on this year as they move on from pensions. And, of course, also there was the issue of failing to actually inform them in advance of what they were doing. And uh, I think, you know, the point that Len McCluskey made in his piece in The Guardian, you know, they wouldn't have done that um, if they were um, talking about... um, banking and financial issues. Um, And so I think there's a sense, you know, after the whole new Labour period, that either, you know, Labour takes its core support seriously, and remember the large majority of votes that new Labour lost between 1997 and 2010 were working class votes, 
uh, or it's never going to find its way back to power. And the um, and the trade unions represent a very important part of that. And they are, of course, the biggest, um, you know, social organisations um, in the country. So I think it was both. The, the singling out the public sector pay, it was a failure to consult the trade unions in advance on that particular issue. But then there was another problem, which was that the detail of the speeches that Ed Balls and um, Ed Miliband made um, was making the point that you've just quoted um, from Ed Miliband about yeah. not uh, making a commitment to any particular reversal of any particular cut if and when Labour's re-elected. The, I think the point that caused real... Um, unhappiness and shock across la- among Labour supporters was the much more direct spin and the interview that Ed Balls gave in which he said the starting point, our starting point is that we accept all these cuts and the message that that gave across is that we accept, accept the Tory cuts programme now. Now of course you know, they then come back and explain, well, actually, we don't, we're not saying that. But that was the message that went out very strongly. And that's what's caused the big problem, because I think it's, it's sent a message that we, um, we oppose the Tory cuts, but we don't oppose them. Um, and, of course, the Tories have seized on that uh, in Parliament in the last couple of days. I mean, Ryan, um, you know, there's always going to be criticisms of the unions and people will say how many people actually voted for Len McCluskey. How many people did he consult before he wrote his... Um, piece laying into uh, the Bulls and Miliband but um, as a Labour councillor and activist you've got to rally troops presumably um, if it looks like you're rolling over on a lot of these cuts then is that going to make that harder to do? Well the unions um, have been rustling around for quite a long time and being angry with Labour for a long long period so the idea that this is something new isn't really the case um, at the moment, it's less about rallying troops and it's more about Labour Party funding. So the unions provide 50% of Labour's funding at the moment and there is a worry about where the money comes from, not just for the country, but where it comes from in terms of this party and the sustainability of it. Um, but at the same time, Labour's in a really difficult bind because you know, they need the support, that financial support from the unions, but actually politically where the country is, is not where the unions are at. And so... Actually, in many ways, it's quite positive for the polls and for Ed Miliband to be having a fight with the unions and to feel that they're not in their pockets because that's something they get massive criticism for. Um, But there is that kind of line that you have to walk between sort of keeping them on side and keeping your finances safe. Are they walking it right? um, At the moment, I do think so. I don't think the unions have anywhere else to go at the moment and they do actually need a credible party to back. And I think I got an email this week from the Greens in London saying that... that Unite should come and affiliate with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's really credible because the Greens aren't going to get into power and the unions know that. What I would say is that Ed Miliband and Labour Party should probably be handling their relationship with the unions better, like Seamus's point about consulting with them first so this is not felt that it's sprung on them is very important. Also something that's very important, what we're doing in Southwark, for example, is we are having a public sector pay freeze and this is a Labour administration locally. Um, but at the same time, we are giving a pay rise to those on the public sector who are at the very, very bottom. Um, so, you know, if you're under 21 grand, then you will get um, a pay rise. But anyone above that will be frozen. And in fact, we're looking at pay cuts at the top. And I think that would be an agenda that perhaps the unions could sign up to. Um, that was also politically palatable and consistent with Labour values. 
Um, and uh, what do you think, Hopi? I mean, it's, it's a well-known formula, isn't it? Picking a bit of a fight with um, the unions, but not too much of a fight so that it actually stopped funding you. I, th- I think the Labour leadership was surprised at the reaction that the article got from the unions. I don't think they were out looking for a fight with Len McCluskey. I think Shame it's nodding here as well. I think Len McCluskey came up and pushed them in the shoulder, and then they thought, well, we've got to have this fight now. We can't run away. And this is in a way that what was so stupid about Len McCluskey's intervention is that if you know anything about the position of the Labour Party at the moment, Ed Miliband cannot afford to lose a fight with Len McCluskey. It is the one thing he politically cannot do. And so what's interesting is that people like Polly uh, Toynbee today and Steve Richards have kind of recognised that actually, no matter where you stand on the kind of actual debate about the future, mm. Ed Miliband and Ed Balls are right on the debate up to 2015, that the idea that a Labour government's going to come in in 2015 and unpick the public pay settlement up to 2015 and the promise is going to be we're going to raise public pay, public sector pay by 7% or 8% in an environment where you've still got a, a public spending squeeze is just insane. But, it's but, not going to happen. But there is a difference, isn't there? Between, I mean, a clearly a big catch-up payment or something for, to make up for the freeze would be... Um, but, but, but then it, but if, you're not, if you're not accepting that, if you're saying you it's not going to be a catch-up point, then, you have, then you're basically you're doing exactly what, what the, the unions are complaining about. You're saying we accept these cuts because you're actually starting from that point now the clever argument if, if i was you know a left winger i'd think that you know well, i am a left winger but if i was a proper hardcore left winger and i wore kind of little badges of lenin and stuff um i would think to myself well the big question here is what happens after 2015 right because because once you get to the 8th of may and the labor government if it wins the next general pitches up it has a huge number of challenges to face and it either takes the sort of approach that i think is important, which is one of spending restraint and one of overall reform of the economy, or it takes a more fiscal expansionist approach. And I think there was a very strong argument for saying the left can win an internal debate in the Labour Party about the post-2015 agenda. It has got not a hope in hell of winning a pre-2015 agenda. That's an interesting uh, take, isn't it, Seamus? I mean, it would be very difficult once Len McCuskey had made that intervention for Miliband to to, to do anything other than, than get into a scrap with him. Well, my perception is that actually uh, Ed Miliband's not trying to pursue that scrap with him. Uh, I think, in fact, both Ed Balls and Ed Miliband will try in the next period to to pacify the unions, not only privately, but also in some of the public positions they take, because I agree that there wasn't um, the intention to have a full-scale row with the trade unions. And I think that's more incompetence than a sort of Blairite intent. Uh, you know, determination to have a fight with them. Um, I just think, you know, that in a way the, the generation of people that came up through the Labour Party under New Labour have so little experience of really dealing with the trade union movement or dealing with, you know, mass organisations outside Parliament. I mean, that's just not where they've been. They've been backroom advisers. And um, so they, their conception of politics, I think, is quite different. I mean, I think I need to pick up that point about um, who advised, you know, who did Len McCluskey consult about his article mm, yeah. and who voted for Len McCluskey. Actually, Len McCluskey was voted by well over 100,000 people, um, quite similar to Ed Miliband. I mean, the point is trade union leaders nowadays, I mean, they, they're called in the not only the right-wing press, but I'm afraid sometimes even in The Guardian they're Mm. called trade union bosses, Uh, but actually they're elected leaders with very large constituencies. And one of the reasons I think the trade unions reacted so strongly to this development in the last couple of weeks is because they're under a lot of pressure internally. You know, there is a big accumulation, as Rowena said, over a long period of a sense that they've been under attack from, you know, the party that they're affiliated to in very serious ways. 
And they've sold internally, the trade unions leaders have sold internally the idea that they're going to try and make changes in the Labour Party and that Ed Miliband is making those changes. And so for him then to, or Fred Balls and Ed Miliband to, from their point of view, open attack, uh, up an attack on core trade union issues, um, which they selected, I mean, the public sector pay issue, I, I think was seen as a full frontal attack, which they had to respond to for their own internal reasons. So quite apart from the broader public position. Was he I mean, the right wing candidate? Is that right for Unite? Uh, no. No, no. Some elements of the right did support him, though. No, he was the broad left candidate. But I mean, I mean, he re- he represents the centre of gravity in in Unite. I mean, I don't think there's any real doubt about that. The, and the, the issue that the unions don't have anywhere else to go, I'm afraid, is just not correct. I mean, you know, we've already had disaffiliations. And I think, you know, there is a real pressure within trade unions. They're saying, well, you know, what are we in this game for? You know, we can influence politics from outside the Labour Party, you know, as happens in the United States, for example, in the relationship between the trade unions and the Democrats. I mean, so I just don't think it's the case that um, I think there is real pressure inside for disaffiliation, which the trade union leaders have to take uh, seriously. I mean, the other thing I'd like to pick up is this point about, you know, there's no chance of winning the argument on the fiscal issues in this parliament. I mean, I don't agree with that at all. I mean, I think that it's, you know, we are in a very, very new economic territory for most people in this country. But do you you really Um, think that... Can I just finish the point? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, you know, obviously there is a a credit... Labour has an economic credibility problem going back to what happened under the last Labour government. I mean, there's often a misperception that the problem was about spending, whereas, in fact, the problem was about uh, under-regulation of the banking system. But, you know, because the crash happened on Labour's watch, of course, it has an economic credibility problem. I don't think it's going to solve that problem by appearing to sign up to more Tory government cuts now or appearing to sign up to, to give credibility to the idea that the problem now is overspending. The problem now is a serious lack of demand in this economy. And you know, one of the arguments about the public sector pay issue is that any squeeze on public sector pay right now depresses demand further. Right now, there is a big crisis of growth and demand in this economy. And we have even the World Bank, the IMF, um, the World Trade Organization uh, in the last 24 hours making that point across Europe and including in Britain. And so to be appear to give ground to that, I know Hope is into this um, fiscal austerity line, but I mean, I think it's just disastrous economically now. In three years' time, you know, who knows what the situation will be because we're in a global crisis of uh, proportions which is certainly unprecedented since the 30s and in some ways before then. So, Hopi... If, if Labour had won the last general election, which I wish we had, I would entirely agree with what Seamus just said. Uh, the trouble is we didn't. And for the, for the next three years, we're going to have a government which is going to follow a policy agenda, which I think, as Seamus does, is completely wrong-headed. And the next Labour government in May 2015 is going to have to come up with a policy agenda to deal with the consequences of that problem. And I think we're going to end up in a situation of l- low wages, kind of income stagnation, relatively high unemployment, probably some growth, one, one and a half, maybe even 2%, but not a particularly strong economy. And within that, we will still have a pretty strong structural and actual deficit. The, at the moment, we're predicting, I think it's 20 billion deficit reduction needed structurally for the first two years of the next parliament. So the idea that in that situation, a Labour government is going to come in and say, you know what, we're going to be able to unpick all of the decisions that were taken in the previous three or four years. I don't think anyone's saying that. But that is, that's the exact consequence of what you're saying. No, because if, no, you're say, are, if, you're, if you're because if you're saying we are go, we are opposing accepting all these cuts, you're saying that the priority when you get to 2015 is to unpick them. No, and actually, what no, Ed Balls is saying no, is that is you've got to go for jobs and growth. And this is what I don't understand what the union's objection is. Because where you come in is you say is, is the 2015 agenda is emphasis on jobs and growth first. 
Now, if I'm the trade unions, I think this is brilliant. This is my chance to make my pitch for a huge argument for infrastructure spending, investment spending, national investment bank, increase in minimum wage, all of these things that at that point can put more demand in the economy. But instead we get this, no, we have to fight the battles of 2012, 2013, 2014. I think uh, you're, you're just misreading what he said. I mean, if, if, you, look, if you look at the article, he's, I mean, Len McCluskey specifically said that, that, that he wasn't contesting the point about not making commitments about um, three years' time. Then it's why about is the ha- issue now. It's about how you could contest the, the Conservative uh, Lib, Lib Dem government now but, yeah, and what just, message you're sending out about the credibility of their strategy and, what, and whether you're supporting people who are resisting those cuts in real life. Yeah, just very briefly on that, I mean, obviously the, the party needs a platform to go into the next election, but for now, part of being opposition, if, as you say, that you think the cuts are, are wrong, is to say that something's wrong if you think it's wrong, isn't it? Oh, I think, you, I mean, there's, there's, there's a huge tension in opposition between being a party that opposes what the government's doing now and yeah. a party that at some point has to produce a credible alternative. I always stand in the view that credible alternative always has to come first. Okay. You know, in, in the end, this is not a kind of an opinion poll ref, uh, or on whether you think this government's doing a good or bad job. It's a question about whether you think the Labour government in the future is going to be able to do a better job. That, in, to me, always has to be the number one. Rena, you're kind of nodding sagely, and of course... <laughs> I'm just trying to make a link to your kind of blue labour agenda, which is to do with things like community. And I'm just wondering, is there an alternative in some of that, if the fiscal screws are on and going to stay on, that might allow you to get to social justice by some other route than just turning the spending taps back on? Absolutely. I mean, I think if you talk to a lot of people in the country, they will say that the biggest problem with Labour was not that it didn't spend enough money. And although that there is a massive role for public services, and I support them hugely, there are a number of real problems with them. The first is that we don't know where the growth will come from to fund these public sector services once now that the city is not providing what it used to. Um, And the second, I think, which is really, really key, is that for a lot of people, that public spending was not transformative. It didn't really change their lives. For a lot of people, you know, getting a kind of state-sponsored benefit just left them quite lonely and quite disempowered. And so there's a question there about with all of these resources going in, how much are you actually getting? And that brings us on to a really, really interesting question, I think, which is that how does Labour do the state with mm. less money? And this is Hopi's like key question is what is Labour for um, when there's less money around? And it seems to me that the left for a really long time has been um, obsessed with transforming the country by looking at the demand side of the economy. And there's a really, really big and important space for that. But they've never really looked at the supply side of the economy. It's tended to assume that the right of, that's the rights agenda. You know, the, the supply side agenda is always associated with union busting, um, with privatisation, with deregulation. And, and what I'm really interested in now is, you know, can the left actually come up with a supply side agenda that doesn't involve tax and spend, but actually is transformative in some ways? And this is what I like about Ed Miliband's policy, because whether you think he can sell it or not, um, it is actually the, the, the policies that he's coming up with, the idea ideas of the living wage, of um, taking on the energy and transport companies, um, of like procurement policy. And new all stuff this week on takeovers, making it harder to have takeovers. Exactly, exactly. Um, all of these things are interesting supply side issues that actually are very progressive and very left um, and very consistent with our values, but don't actually just rely on spending money. The only thing I'd that comes to mind as you're saying some of that is I remember Tony Blair in the mid-1990s being very influenced by um, 
American sociologist Etzioni, and there was a lot of talk about communitarianism. And in fact, there was a lot of talk about communitarianism. It only lasted about six months. Two from David Cameron. And I just wonder whether these things tend to be said in opposition more than once you're in government and you've actually got to deal with things and make decisions. And, and then the idea of wouldn't it be nice to restore community kind of fades, fades from view a bit. Do you know what I mean? There is a real challenge about how the state would build the community side of things. I mean, it's a problem that David Cameron struggles with all the time, is how do you manifest the big society agenda? What's quite interesting about some of the models that Blue Labour are looking at in terms of cooperatives and mutuals, I think are being practised locally. If you look at Lambeth next door to us, um, that's quite an interesting example. And Southwark and those kind of, those ideas are actually being experimented with and taking root. And they're quite exciting, really. A real kind of classic concrete example might be instead of giving a huge amount in benefit transfers to a single mum every week to support her house, can you give her a stake in a community land trust so that she doesn't just have a kind of material transfer of resources, but she has a stake in and power over a resource that becomes hers those kind of models are possible and it's true for the Labour Party as well I mean it it means going back to our roots and our traditions in a long way and and things that I think that we've forgotten but ultimately I think we could try and do that and and it it is possibly the only option open to us because I agree with Hopi that you know we're going to be what 18% poorer when we take power back in 2015 Mm, blimey Thanks for cheering us up there, Rowan. Um, Seamus, do you... Not all of us, the Guardian. That's the APR, that's that. God knows how much poorer the Guardian will be. Um, Seamus, um, do you think it's hard times and hard times are here for a bit and we can we can argue about the percentages, but do you think Quite that... a long time, I would say. You know, do, do you think there can be an agenda here along the lines Rowan is mapping out there in terms totally. of... A, I mean, I, I mean... I find it I find it slightly strange that Rowan was saying that the left is only interested in demand issues. Uh, I mean, the traditional division within the Labour Party historically, going back to Crossland's time in the 1950s and 60s, was that the right wing of the Labour Party uh, believed in uh, mm. you know demand, demand management, demand management, and tax and spend, and the left was for intervention uh, in the in a su- supply side sense. So, and I would still think that there's a lot of that around. So, I mean, the reason we're talking about demand now is because there's a demand crisis. But I totally agree that, you know, that there needs to be a transformation of, of the supply side, and that means a transformation of the economic model. And one of the reasons why I think, and I supported Ed Miliband's election before he was elected, and still think that he represents something important for the Labour Party is because I think he clearly understands that. He got the fact um, that, you know, before the end of the last Labour government, that this neoliberal model that has dominated the Western world for the last generation has failed and that the future is going to be a new kind of um, economic structure, a new kind of economic model. And I think he's beginning to feel his way into that. And some of the issues that Rowena mentioned that he and others in the Labour leadership have raised, although I don't think they go far enough, I think they are raising the right questions and they're pushing in the right direction. And I think there is a, I mean, although I'm, I'm unhappy with the position of the black Labour and blue Labour about, about demand management and the fiscal issue, I think it's perfect. They're, they're, they're absolutely right to talk about the, po- the the potential for broadly what's called fairness and austerity. And I mean, 
you know, social justice and austerity and transformation in austerity. And, and, you know, I mean, we're talking about a model that is not delivering and won't, go on, won't deliver in the way that it did in the past and therefore has to be changed. But, but and that means see, more public yeah. intervention. But the thing is that a lot of us, both of us around this table will, I think, agree that right now you would do the cuts less far and less deep. And, you know, in the future that you look at the kind of supply side things. But the question is, what message do you take to the public? Because this is exactly the message that Ed Miliband and Ed Bull have been trying to, like, pull off this week and it, and it just hasn't worked because it's very complicated to explain and although it's kind of intellectually credible and you know quite and actually quite sophisticated it's not sellable to the public and for the public they are just really angry whether we like it or not with what they perceive as a huge um, level of waste under under labor and so and so how do you how do you package that and so the question is for the next four years what are we going to be talking about are we just going to be talking about um, the cuts agenda, or are we going to be laying out what a supply side agenda might look like later? Yeah, and, the, the worry, really... and the worry right now is that by emphasising the cuts agenda, which is basically the shift of the last two it, weeks, detract that, from... you're, that you're actually undermining um, a lot of your own potential support and alienating people. And, you know, I mean, people hear messages in very crude ways, and the message they've got in the last couple of weeks is ah, Labour's basically supporting the cuts, and so there's, you know, Labour supporters are going around asking local MPs, you know, What's the point of voting Labour? Now, of course, that's not the detailed message when you uh, unpack it, but that's the one that the spin puts across. That's the one you hear on the nine o'clock, uh, the ten o'clock news. But isn't the other point, AP, that there's a danger that the um, public will just hear the Labour Party standing up for public sector workers who are a minority? Well, there's a huge danger of that. I don't think standing up for public sector work is a bad thing, by the way, but as a political strategy, there's a huge danger you do that. I think there's a slight problem that we, you know, know, and and it's possibly amplified by having the three of us around this table. It's just that we're all kind of nice centre-left kind of... You know, Shim's not might not believe this, but I'm I'm also a Keynesian, and there are a lot of people out there who don't see this. Who you know, if you look at the opinion polls at the moment, I think 66% of the population say, including a majority of Labour supporters, say they may not agree with the speed and pace of the cuts, but they do think the fundamentally cuts are necessary right now. Now, most of us, I think, suspect that's not the case. This is not an election-winning or even a Labour Party support-building strategy to say, let's just spend more all the time, because there is a fundamental disconnect between what you go out there and you say and what people want to hear from the Labour Party. Well, as you say, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a wider world out there, a world of politics, which we'll get back to next week. But I hope, dear listeners, you'll forgive us our focus just on the Labour Party for today. But that's it for this time. My thanks to Seamus Milne, to Rowena Davis and to Hopi Sen. You can join in the debate in the comments section below the podcast page at guardian.co.uk forward slash politics weekly. The producer was Phil Maynard. I'm Tom Clark. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.